You are listening to Behind the Mask with Diva with Depression. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Behind the Mask with Diva with Depression. And you already know who I am. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. How are you guys doing? How are you really doing today? Remember, you're not supposed to lie to me. We have to start telling the truth from now on so we can let know people where we're at and how we want them to treat us. So if you're not feeling well, then say it. And if you are feeling well, say that too. So we know how to move forward. I've been having a rough time. I'm being honest with you. Um, The last couple of weeks have been um, a little, you know, haphazard for me. I'm having problems with one of my meds as usual. But of course, we'll discuss that at a later time because I have stories for days about uh, mental illness and the medications that go with it. And so I'm just waiting for my next appointment to sort of get on track again, hopefully with a different medication that'll give me a little bit of oomph. Uh, my emotions have been all over the place. I'm crying every five minutes. I'm angry every five minutes. I'm sad every five minutes. And most of the time they come at the same time. So it's been held, but I'm here. And so that's a good thing. I get to chat with you guys today. I'm still a hot mess though. You know, I don't know if people identify with that, that, um, you know, having a mental illness alone is a struggle. Having a physical illness alone is a struggle, but having both at the same time, it's, it's, it's rough. You know, um, hope and happiness is hard to come by when your head is not feeling well and your body is not feeling well. Uh, I'll give you an example of, you know, people say that exercise helps with mental illness, but if you have a physical illness and you can't exercise, you know, you're sort of at a catch-22. And I don't think that people really understand that, that, you know, your brain is strong enough to stop you from getting out of bed. But if you are lucky enough to get out of bed, sometimes your body is not strong enough to do all of the the things that you want to do. So it can be tough sometimes, but we don't give up hope. You know, we do what we can. And that's all you have to do is do what you can. You know, days when I can't get out of bed, I sit up straight and watch TV that way. And at least I know I did that. If I am able to get out of bed, if I walk into another room, or if I stand in the kitchen long enough to cook myself something, or make it to my office to do some work, you know, those are, those are not big things to everyone, but they're big things to me because that says that I did something for the day. And it doesn't matter how big or small the deed or event, 
try to always celebrate an accomplishment. So today I want to I want to touch on something. Um, we're become, we're coming to the end of Mental Health Awareness Month, and although I think it's wonderful that that there are times dedicated to mental health and mental wellness, mental illness. I I think that it's a discussion that we should have every single day. However, since we are highlighting mental health awareness this month, I want to make sure that I get this topic in because I, I feel like if I get it in during the month of May, it'll get more traction and it'll bring more awareness to what I'm going to talk about next. Now, everything that I discuss, (laughs) I give a disclaimer, you know, that anything that I discuss can be triggering. Um, I, I, I talk about my experiences and some of them are pretty dark, um, some of them are pretty painful, and some of them may be a trigger to anyone. However, what I'm talking about today is a major trigger for some people. Suicide. Now, I'm not going to go in depth with it, but it will be mentioned. And so since I always want you guys to be safe and well, I wanted to put that out there. And of course, if you are feeling like, you know, hopeless, helpless, always reach out to someone. My information is is in the tagline. And at the end of this session, I'm going to give you some resources to to contact if you're feeling low. So what I'm going to do first is I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to get into it, okay? I'm I'm not going to um, prolong it. Maybe if I die, they will be satisfied. He'll figure out that he loves me. And she will see how life is when I'm not doing everything. Your brother tried to kill himself. Call the hospital. Ma'am, this is not the first attempt. You cannot take her home. Miss, I cannot reveal too much, but you need to get here immediately. Now, those are are three scenarios from my life. <clears throat> but you know what they all have in common? They were all circled around teenagers that are struggling with mental illness. I'm going to give you some numbers. And this was as of 2011. According to the CDC, Adolescent boys aged 12 to 17 years old were more likely than girls to die by suicide. Adolescent girls were more likely than boys to have depression or an alcohol use disorder. And you guys know that I always, I I don't always read from, (laughs) you know, I I try to go off the book, but I want to give you a, a peek into what the numbers reveal. And some of these numbers are pretty old. Um, Well, like I said, that was 2011. This is from another site. Mental illness can strike anyone at any time in their life, but half of all mental illness begins by the age of 14. 
And that's according to the World Health Organization. Another site, half of all mental illness begins by the age of 14, but most cases go undetected and untreated. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among 15 to 29 year olds. Harmful use of alcohol and illicit drugs among adolescents is a major issue in many countries also. Another site and statistic, 7.4% of children aged 3 to 17 have been diagnosed with a behavior problem. 7.1% of children aged 3 to 17 have, di have been diagnosed with anxiety. 3.2% of children aged 3 to 17 have been diagnosed with depression. So. That's approximately 1.9 million babies living with a mental illness or struggling with a mental illness. And you know, this is not, I'm pausing because I'm trying to find the right words. Um, I think the right words are we have to stop ignoring babies. You know, we get caught up in their children. What do they have to be depressed about? We get caught up in, you know, oh, well, they have everything they want. What do they have to be depressed about? Do you ever watch movies or TV shows and you see, you know, people, young, young adults or young, I, I call everybody babies. If you're under 20, listen, I call everybody babies if they're younger than me. <laughs> um, but you'll see kids that are growing up and mansions and, and money on end, and they're so unhappy. Well, that shows you that there is something that they have to be depressed about. And you never know what it is. You don't know what the trigger is. You don't know what's causing him to feel the angst. You don't know. So until you start to listen to them and you start to do some research, you can't keep discounting their feelings. You know, I'm, I'm a mom and, and I know that, you know, sometimes we get caught up, oh, they're just a teenager. Well, there's no such thing, you know, because if you can believe that a three-year-old can suffer at the hands of a monster in terms of sexual abuse, then you have to believe that that same three-year-old is gonna live the rest of their life with that trauma and that trauma is going to trigger something to make them unhappy, to make them depressed. So don't discount anything. Um, so since I spewed my numbers <laughs> for, the, for this for today, um, and really, like I said, that was just a guideline. Some of those numbers are from 2011. I think I saw some was from 2008. Um, if you want to go to the CDC website or you go to the WHO website or the NIMH website, they can give you more up-to-date numbers. But I'm going to speak from the heart because, like I said, I was a teenager <laughs> struggling with mental illness. I have, I had teenagers that were struggling with mental illness. So, in turn, I had friends 
that age and I had my my babies had friends that age so you know and I still talk to teenagers and and young young babies that are at that age and they are struggling so you know I'm just gonna like I said keep it real <laughs> um, now I grew up in a, a kind of a dis dysfunctional situation there were many times that I knew something was wrong with me I just didn't know what was wrong with me and because you know some of the things that I was dealing with when you're inside looking out you know that they are not the same as every other person in your age group but they're normal for you and so you know sometimes I would think well this is this is my life you know this is what I have to deal with these are the cards that I was dealt and you know that's just the way it is. But I think that I deep down inside, I knew that there was a sadness in me. I knew that there was darkness uh, at a very young age. Um, and it, you know, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. I just, all I can say is when you know, you know, when you're living it, you know. And I didn't have anybody to talk to about it. You know, you can't talk to, you can, you know, share general things with your friends in your age group, but, you know, everybody's going through their own thing and they may not understand how severe your darkness is or severe how, how severe your pain is. And I also didn't trust anyone, you know, trust is a big thing for me. And it's something that I don't have a lot of. <laughs> and I, I know that I can say that from an early age, I didn't trust people. And I'm sure that the reasons why will come out later, but I didn't trust anyone. And then if I did trust someone, I didn't trust them not to tell my mom. Because, you know, sometimes I think that we're, we have a, uh, parents are a little bit more aware nowadays. So they sort of know when they have to involve a parent and when they don't. I believe at my age, at that age, at that time, you know, when you share certain things with an, another adult, they immediately would go to your parents. And since I grew up in the what goes on this house stays in this house generation, I knew that if what I shared with someone else about how I was feeling or what I was experiencing got back to my mother, she was not going to handle it gracefully. And I was terrified of that too. And so I didn't share, I didn't share. I, I had, you know, I know that I can speak now at this age and say that there were one or two adults who recognized that there was something off and they tried their best to compensate, you know, to make up for, for it, but I don't think anyone understood. 
my father, he had a window at different times into things that were going on and the things that I was struggling with. But instead of being someone that would help me, he used those things to demean me and ridicule me. There was an incident that happened and instead of being in the adult <laughs> and the rational mind in this situation, he chose to share it with outside people. And some of those outside people happened to be staff members at the school that I attended. And so this incident was shared with everybody. I mean, this is what they talked about in the break room. So, you know, at different times I learned that adults were not the people that I can trust. And it didn't matter whether they were blood or not. They, they just didn't have my best interest at heart. And so when I look back at this age, I can, I, I'm sad because I, you know, there were adults, they were supposed to be the adults and they were supposed to take the time to take care of me and do the best that they can to raise me. And they didn't. And so since I didn't have the, comp the trust of anyone, and since I didn't get to share what I was feeling, I didn't get psychological care. I had, in, in my lower grades, there was a psychologist that came in once a month. But like I told you guys before, I didn't talk. And if I did talk, I definitely was not sharing what I was feeling or what I was going through. So it was really just a matter of him going in through the motions, <laughs> you know, when he came in every week. And after the while that ended, so I'm not sure, you know, what happened. But I do know that since I didn't have any care and, and I didn't talk to anybody, taking my life was a constant thought. You know, I felt like things would be better if I wasn't here. And that's, you know, that's at a young age all the way up until now. I still feel like that sometimes. And I don't know why I really never attempted to do it. Um, but I, I, I didn't. Um, and I don't know why I, I never tried in my adult life. In my adult life, um, um, prior to having my kids, I know after my having my kids, any time that thought entered my mind, I would, you know, I knew that I had to be here for them. Now, the first example that I read to you about your brother, my brother attempting at age 19, he attempted to take his life. And that was the call that I got from my mother. And we were in two different states at the time. And up until now, my brother and I have never had the discussion about what his mindset was at that time. You know, I just know that it, w it happened. Um, he made it. Uh, he, he, was, he was smart and he, you know, after he made the attempt, thank God he reached out 
to his girlfriend at the time and he got to the hospital in time. But can you imagine being 19 years old and being in such darkness and in such pain that you feel like that's the only choice that you have? You know, I want you to really think about that. And then I want you to, to look around at the 19 year olds that you know and think about the things that they say and the things that they do, the things that they don't say. What do you think? You know, do you think that there's cause for you to maybe reach out to them? I want you to really pay attention to that. We're gonna start with 19 years old. So look at all the 19 year olds in your life and see what you come up with. Because I know for my baby brother, uh, one of his nicknames that I always had for him is Marmaduke. And if you're old like me, you'll know that. <laughs> That's a cartoon about a, a dog who was just so lovable. And my baby brother was just lovable and he was always kissing someone and, and loving on someone. And so, you know, to think that he was in that pain, although we grew up in the same environment and struggled with some of the same things, I still couldn't believe that this bundle of joy was in that much pain. Then, you know, that, that's my 21-year-old speaking about my 19-year-old brother. You know, now I know that there were reasons. Um, and some of the signs were missed. And also, the what goes on in this house, stays in this house situation was at play. So I'm sure that's part of the reason why he never shared. But that was at 19. Now the last two scenarios, and this is tough for me, so you'll hear a lot of pauses <laughs> in this, this part. The last two scenarios were my children. And so I will tell you that just because I live with a mental illness and struggle with a severe mental illness does not mean that I have the answers. And that does not mean that I have um, the 2020 vision into what the people closest to me are going through. And so in that case, those are my babies, you know, and um, I'm very close to my babies. I, I worship, I, I mean, I, really, I worship them. And so to know that they were in that much pain floored me. It absolutely floored me. And so I recognize, but I, I you know, my first, my first scenario was around the age of 17, 18, um, similar to my brother. So there were signs, you know, they were, there were definitely signs that I noticed that something wasn't right, or I, I don't even want to say right. I just know that they weren't the way I thought that they should be. You know, I guess you, 
and when you when you're surrounded by children and their friends and you sort of see how one child acts compared to another child you you sort of come to this conclusion about what's right and wrong and i think that when it comes to parenting there is no right or wrong however i did notice that there were signs that she was struggling and in some cases i did what i could to alleviate some of that pain but we're human you know uh, even though we're parents and we're supposed to be superheroes we're still human and there are some things that we cannot control and so I couldn't control my first child spiraling into the tunnel that I live in right now. I, I couldn't catch her before she fell. And, you know, that's something that, prob that, that will definitely stay with me for the rest of my life. But I'm sharing this because I want you guys to know that we, we can't see everything and we can't save them from everything. We can't shelter them from everything. And so if you see things that are out of place, get help because there's a quadrillion billion babies around the world so that means that there's a quadrillion billion parents around the world and none of us are perfect and so what you may feel ashamed to share might be something that another parent is going through we we have to start talking not just to save ourselves but to save our children the, the last scenario was my youngest and again, I had no idea. I had no idea. I knew that school was stressful. I knew that she strived for perfection in everything that she did and um, Sometimes when you're struggling with perfection, you're so hard on yourself and you beat yourself up so much. And ask me how I know is because that's, that's me. Um, and I know how I was at that age. And when you are 16, 17, 18, 19, I want to say, I'm going to stop at 18 because you're still in high school, sometimes at 18 years old. And you want to be the best because you think that every other person in high school is the best. And so you want to be the head cheerleader because, you know, you want to impress others or you want to feel like, you know, that's where you need to be. You want to 
you don't want to be ridiculed. I mean, let's call it, let's call it what it is, you know, um, young people can be cruel sometimes. And so if you're not dressed the way everybody says you should be dressed, they're going to talk about you. You know, if your hair is not done the way it's supposed to be, they're going to talk about you. If your grades are not what they should be, what they think it should be, they're going to talk about you. And so, you know, I want you to think about that because as an adult, we don't like people talking about us. As an adult, we don't want to feel like we're inferior. So what makes you think that a baby would know how to process those feelings? They don't. They don't. They don't know what to do with it. They have no idea what to do with that. You know, I think about, um, I was bullied from the second grade through high school. And we're not talking about someone pulling my hair. We're not talking about, you know, a name call here or there. I had physical interactions. I had, I was in life-threatening situations because of bullying. How do you think someone is supposed to process that? Because you don't know at a young age that bullying doesn't have anything to do with you. You think that everything has to do with you. They don't like me because there's something wrong with me. And so my youngsters at a young age were feeling that pain from every area. And I, I don't share their story. I don't share the specific story because that's for them to share. And they will in their own time. And they will talk about it in their own time. And I never, I haven't at this point asked them where their mind was at that exact time. But we have, we have had general discussions about mental illness and young adults. And both of my children are very sensitive to others around them when it comes to mental illness. And so we, we have loads of discussions about it. And I always ask them before I write about young adults and mental illness, what are some signs to look for? What are some things that they wish I would have done differently? What are some of the things they wished that I would have recognized before it got too far? And I know on a lot of the interviews that I do, um, discussions that I have about mental illness and children, that is the number one question that I get. How do I know? What am I supposed to look for? And I don't have an answer for you. I have no answer for you. I don't have a concrete answer for you. You know, Parenting is hard um, off the rip. You know, there's no manual for it. 
and um, so we're we're ringing it as we go along. So I, I'm going to give you some of the things that I noticed with mine. One was isolation. Um, one of my babies isolated, did not socialize anymore. She didn't want to be out with her friends. She didn't want to do the things that she used to do. And here's the thing with the other one, she was a social butterfly. Isn't that funny? <laughs> I was always, you know, taking to her, taking her to a friend's house or picking her up from a friend's house. So, you know, one was isolated and one wasn't. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's so different. Um, the sleeping a lot, you know, that was something that I noticed in both, you know, but I, I'm a, I'm a night owl and my babies are night owls too. So we don't come alive until after five or six. <laughs> so, you know, it was hard to pinpoint, but you know what the, the typical come home from school after a day at, you know, come home from school, take a nap and then get up and do homework and eat dinner and, you know, go through your regular routine. You know that when that is different from coming home from school and just sleeping until one or two o'clock in the morning and then, you know, struggling to get yourself prepared for the next day. So, so that's a big thing. Um, many teens that are struggling with mental illness can develop an eating disorder. You have some that eat too much. You have some that eat too little. I know when I was around 15 or 16, I became obsessed with not eating. And I know that I didn't share that with anybody else, but I didn't. Um, I was scared to, I was scared to eat. Um, I did not want to gain weight. And I never developed an eating disorder, but I know that there were patterns there that could have gone in a darker direction. And I know some teenagers that I have spoken to that have developed eating disorders that's where it began. You know, someone said that they were too fat or someone said that they were too skinny or they couldn't wear the clothes that their friends were wearing. You know, things like that. And so I think that that's another thing that you should pay attention to in your children and the children around you, the, their eating patterns. Um, that's definitely something to pay attention to. And the withdrawn, being withdrawn. You know, how was your day? Fine. What are you doing? Nothing. How do you feel about, I don't know. <laughs> you know, and I know that we always say that that's most teens. You can't get a full sentence out of them. But, you know, we have to start forcing conversations, especially if you have, if you have an inkling that they're not feeling well, you know, sort of try to push the envelope a little bit. I think what it comes down to is that we just have to keep talking to them, keep sharing with them, 
You know, don't be ashamed to share your experiences with them. Don't be ashamed to tell them what you went through in the past. We all have a past. We've all done some things that, you know, we may not be too proud of. But they can be a testimony to your children or the children around you. You know, the bullying incidents that I went through were embarrassing for me. And, but I still share them. I share them. I, my girls can tell you, you know, about them because I want them to know that, you know, number one, this is what you look out for in people. And number two, you know, it has nothing to do with you. I, we have to start letting them know that the things that are done to them by other people have nothing to do with them. It does not change how amazing they are, you know? And I think that that's something that we have to start doing more of. And I know that that's not gonna save the world, but if we walk up to a child a day and say, you are amazing, you are beautiful, you are loved, oh my goodness, could you imagine? I don't think we do that enough. I don't think that we do that enough. You know, and if you find yourself in a position where you are the person for someone's child, you know, don't don't take it as a burden, you know. Take it as a source of honor. You know that you are that person that that someone trusts you enough to come to you to share. I always share this story about one of my daughter's friends um, and she had, she was going through a rough time and she walked into the house. She would walk into the house and get in the bed with me <laughs> and start talking. And, you know, another time she had a rough time with something and she called me and, and I was there and, you know, I fussed at I fussed at her, you know, sometimes for getting into those situations, but I was so honored that she felt like she could come to me, to me, to help her, you know? And so as the adult in the room, as a teacher in the room, a social worker, an advocate, you know, um, I, that's something that I don't take lightly. If you're an advocate, you know, that means that you're going to go to bat for these, these babies. And we have to do that. And there's no degree needed to be an advocate for the babies. <laughs> there's no training. There's no nothing. There's you with your good heart opening up your ears and listening. Because sometimes that's what they need. They just need somebody to listen. And, you know, when you give these numbers that there's 1.9 billion children or million children struggling with mental illness, that's not acceptable. That is not acceptable, especially in 2021. We have to do more. And so I'm going to I'm going to keep saying that we're not perfect, guys. We are not. But the rate of teen suicide and we can't even say teen because I read a story I've read three stories in the past month about babies 10 
11, 12 taking their lives because they were bullied online or, you know, the way their parents were treating them. So we can't even say teen. You know, these numbers say that it starts at three. And damn it, it starts at three because I know how I felt at seven. You know, I know how I felt at nine and 10. Um, so, you know, we got to listen to the, to, to, we've got to listen to them. You know, the numbers are too high. So start listening, start monitoring. You know, a lot of, I, I talk to a lot of parents and, you know, I watch a lot of the ID channel. <laughs> I'm an addict. And you start to see these shows when children are missing and the parents will say, oh, I don't know. I don't know who that friend was. I don't know who they were going out with. Not in my house. <laughs> you know, my favorite line is I need the social security number so I can do the FBI background check because y'all not taking my babies nowhere and I don't know who they can go with. It, listen, both of my kids are adults. And I still need to know where they're going and who they're going with. <laughs> so, um, no, you know, don't let your kids have people involved in their lives and you don't know who those people are. You know, at least get a phone number and an address. So, you know, if something happens, you can contact them. Uh, reach out to other parents, you know, and let them know. If you, if you see something different in your child, talk to one of your friends that's also a parent that may or may not be in the same age group and and you guys can discuss it together and and come up with a solution and see where you're at you know but don't give up you know on your children don't give up on yourself don't beat up on yourself just start talking more start listening more start you know checking their social media habits I know that can be hard because, you know, they don't want to give up the passwords. They don't want to give up their iPhones. But those are things that need to be monitored because, you know, I, I always give the example when I was being bullied by the people at school, it only went as far as my front door. They didn't come inside with me. But now our children are bombarded 24 hours a day, you know, so they're bullied in person all day at school and then those same bullies will be on their Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and whatever else accounts, you know. Um, that's another thing. Talk to your kids about social media, you know, just because you see their, if you see your friends on, on social media and they have this and they have that and they're smiling or whatever, that's social media life, honey. That is not real life. And, and listen, I had to learn that as an adult and I still do because you see something on social media and you become envious and you think that you're missing out on something, but people only post, they, they post the good stuff. They don't post the bad stuff. So teach your babies to not get in, get caught up in optics, um, because that's not everybody's real life. Um, it's tough. I'm going to tell you that it was tough living that life as a teenager and it was tough as a parent watching my teenagers live that life. So we just have to breathe and we have to be more aware going forward. And like I said at the top of the episode, I'm going to give you 
some more resources. The Suicide Prevention Hotline is 800-273-TALK. That's 800-273-8255. The Crisis Text Line is 741-741. And that's a popular line because, you know, people with mental illness do not like to talk on the telephone. <laughs> so that's awesome because you just text them and they, they text you right back. And those counselors will uh, continue to text conversations. So, you know, though that's something that's popular with younger people. Um, so make sure that they have that resource. I always talk about National Alliance for Mental Illness, which is NAMI and Mental Health of America. They both have hotlines and you can call those hotlines and they will make sure that you get the resources that you need. But if you have to paste this on your refrigerator, you know, make sure that your children have these numbers in their phones, make sure that they have access to it. Please do, please do let them know that they can access some of these resources on their social media pages. And that will let them know that it's okay to reach out to someone and to talk about things. It's going to be okay, folks. It's going to be okay. Our babies are going to be okay. So today I just want you to go hug a baby, go listen to a baby, go sit next to a baby and just sit there with them if that's what they need. You don't need a PhD to be an advocate for the babies. You just need to be you. And that's what we need. So take care. Afraid to show